everybody. Mike here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. So glad you are tuning in. So glad to be a part of your life. Got a very, very special guest with me today via Skype from the great city of Columbus, Ohio, a different suburb of Columbus, Ohio. But my friend, Nicole, Nicole, say hello. Hello. Nicole is, so she's a big deal. Um, first of all, that's just all her Twitter tw- Twitter bio says. It's just big deal. Um, Nicole <laughs> and not- I shared a stage together years ago, and she just published her first book. I think right. It was Hush. Right? It was your first one? It was my yeah. Hush was my first. I actually had two out. My second was Breathe, and we were talking about Sore. at the time my third one, and you told me if you have a third book, your third book should be called lie. And I love that so much. And I ended up naming my third book, Soar. Perfect. Yep. Or, or that could be Thor if you have a lisp. So, so either way, okay. either way. You're so weird. So all (laughs) uh, beyond, beyond, I mean, my wife, uh, yeah, yeah. She just had no idea. So, um, so Nicole, tell us, uh, tell the, our Sweet Vox audience, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, and then we'll kind of work backwards into how you got to be doing this. Sure. Well, so I grew up in a small town in Ohio, and almost everyone who knew me sort of considered me like the perfect girl from the perfect family. Um, you know, I was the poster child of a small community. So I was real involved in school and all that. On the outside, everything looked ideal. I was an athlete. I was homecoming queen, student council president. Um, But what others saw on the outside, that big smile I wore to school every day was a mask that was covering up a lot of hurt and confusion because I was sexually abused for close to a decade by my stepfather, who Uh. I lived with, who I loved and trusted, who was respected in our community. And I was afraid to tell. And so that was a little bit of background on my story where I held this secret in for all of my childhood. I finally found the courage to tell my mom when I was 14 and we can get into more of that later, but um, I'm really grateful that my mom believed me and um, that was the beginning of my healing journey. My stepfather ended up taking his own life that same week that I told and just shattered a lot of Mm. I guess the masks that I was wearing. Um, but, but how could you not? Right, right. But ended up, that's what freed me to now realize that finding my voice and breaking my silence not only was a first step of healing for me, but it was calling other people to the <coughs> woodwork. And so, honestly, ever since I started sharing my story, my very first time to share my story publicly was a year later. I was 15 years old. I went to this church camp and I told my story for the first time. Oh I hadn't goodness. even told my best friend. Yeah. And I I remember thinking, what in the world did I just do? Like, I felt so awkward. And you said and it I publicly. I mean, you said it in front of yeah. the group or in front of the camp or? So we're at a camp. I mean, there's like a couple hundred kids there. From and your church. My, yeah. And I was new to this church. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like my youth group didn't even know this story. And it was the last day of camp and they had this time of like open mic. Anyone could come up and like talk about their favorite verse or something great God did that week. And I just remember not even like no time went by for me to stand up out of my seat. And I ended up at the microphone. Like it was like in a flash, like the Holy Spirit just carried me there. 
And I ended up telling my story in front of all these kids. And then it was just like, uh, jaws dropping and nothing. Oh my goodness. But then I went home and this was the time you remember this, Mike. Yeah. When you did the pen pal thing where people, you know, it took three days to get someone an actual <laughs> message, right? So that was, that was the time. So I went home and for three days, I was like, what did I just do? All of my fears of people finding out about me being a sexual abuse survivor. I'm like, oh, they're going to think I'm so weird. They're going to like pity oh, yeah. me. Like they're going to look at me differently. All those things, all these lies were in my head of about course. it. Yeah. But then it ended up. Three days later, I started getting letters in my mailbox of and these from are other physical. Kids. This is on physical paper. Physical paper, yeah. Okay. Like right. I just wanted to clarify pencil. for the kids. Right, like graphite, like erasers. <laughs> yeah, old school. Um, but so I started getting letters from other kids telling me their stories for the first time. You know, no Nicole, kidding. Thank you, yeah, thank you for your courage. I thought I was the only one. Oh my goodness! And so I started writing back and forth, pen pals, with these other kids at this camp. And I realized myself that I wasn't alone. And so it's interesting, Mike, this Me Too movement that's happening now really was happening in my world back, you know, 23 years ago when I was 15 years old, riding back and forth with these other kids. And they began to tell their stories because I told mine, you know, they found the courage to say me too. And this was all, this was all in the church. Was your stepfather mm-hmm. part of a church? I mean, were you guys like a religious family? Yeah. We were. Yeah. And he was, he was oh, a leader, leader in his church. And, but this was a new church I was now attending. Yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he professed to be a Christian. He was a leader. So yeah, definitely. What was, what was happening inside you mm-hmm. as Uh, obviously he took his life. You're coming to grips with this and what this Mm -hmm. means. I mean, I can't, you know, it's, it's hard enough to learn, um, to be an adult as an adolescent, just without that. I mean, how, how does all that, I mean, how did you begin working that out and seeing, seeing healing or having the courage to speak about it? Yeah. I think a lot of it came with, um, having a safe place to kind of process, also, journaling was really good for me. Hmm. Um, but honestly, having certain people in my life that were just safe people that believed my story, hmm. who reminded me it wasn't my fault. I didn't hmm. deserve it. Hmm. I wouldn't have asked for it. I needed to hear these things over and over from people in my life that I trusted my story with. Um, hmm. And then just even finding, you know, educating myself on what abuse was. And I had to get in the word. I had to find scripture to counteract these lies I believed about myself, about who God was in the midst of my pain. Um, But I really needed spiritual mentors really to speak truth to those lies, just to be a physical representation of Jesus, hearing my story, not having all the answers, Mm -hmm. but being a good listener and believing me. But a lot of it was on me also. I had to be willing to tell. I had to be willing to step outside of my fears and reach out and, you know, talk. I, I even remember, this is funny, um, there were times when, like, I didn't have a counselor available to me or there was a teacher at my school that was so instrumental in my healing because she was just there mm. and said all the right things. Um, but when I didn't have somebody like that there, I had a life-size poster of Michael Jordan in my bedroom. <laughs> and I used to tell him my memories. And so I always say, I feel like Michael Jordan was my counselor because sometimes I just needed to talk. And he didnn't have all the answers, but he listened. Hey, you MJ's know? the greatest. I'm saying. Wow. <laughs> 
Okay, but, that. Okay, um, first of all, that yeah. is amazing. Now, <laughs> did, was there was there were there people that didn't believe you because your stepfather was such a quote yeah. good guy? Yeah, yeah, there certainly were. Yeah, and that's what is so triggering in this culture we live in right now for survivors, right. including myself, is hearing those people that don't want to believe the stories that are coming out in the media. And yeah. they have all these reasons why they don't want to believe. And it's hate and it's victim shaming, victim blaming, unbelief. And it's triggering survivors like myself to remember that pain of not of people who didn't believe or didn't want to believe. So, you know, they said all these mm-hmm. other horrible things about the victim. And mm. that's just really hard. What, yeah. What, and again, thank you so much for... Oh my goodness, just talking about this and bringing you, and you were doing this before, you know, years before the the Me Too movement, right. obviously. But what, what's it been like to watch culture hmm. um, kind of be turned upside down and, and, and <laughs> yeah. see, and, and again, it, seemingly to those, particularly who are men who just, this isn't even on the radar culturally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, seemingly out of nowhere. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, like the whole thing just is, is crazy. What's that been like for you? Yeah. Well, I think at first it was really empowering and I felt like I'm finally not alone as far as being this public voice, mm-hmm. you know, saying we've got to break the silence. I mean, my whole campaign for the last 15 years has been break the silence. And now this is like a real term that people are using regularly. It's a hashtag. Like I never thought, thought that would happen. And then, um, just hearing other people saying me too, and their stories. So there's this community we're creating for survivors. And mm-hmm. I felt like that took a lot of the shame off of us because now we're even seeing people, you know, in Hollywood who have similar stories to us and being confident and even, you know, being public with it. So in a lot of ways, it was very empowering and inspiring. And I felt like, yes, this movement I've longed to see for years and years is now happening. Yeah. And so it's like this ripple effect. But honestly, now that it's become so political, and I think that's really difficult, especially in the church for people to, you know, yeah, just we all have our own sides and it's hard to stay in the middle and now it's becoming more painful, especially when you're seeing leaders <clears throat> speaking in such misogynistic ways. And um, to whom could you possibly be referring? I have, uh, I have no idea. I, I cannot are believe. Are we going there? Are we going there? <laughs> well, so 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 okay. So so it it was a good healing. I mean, I think we all agree. Like the shedding light mm-hmm. is a is a beautiful and very painful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, then the, as you've seen this become politicized, it sounds like, and I think that's true for even those of us who, who are just observing it, you know, as, as outside mm-hmm. observers. I mean, it's, it's absolutely toxic, but, mm-hmm. um, in terms of what's happening in the church too, I mean, is it, is it that same, Yeah. is there same, is there, there, there that same encouragement for you as you, as, no. as you've okay, no, okay, tell me about that if you would. Yeah, and I think that's what's most hurtful is again, it it's so much of loyalties to specific people, um, where a woman or a girl or a victim 
is not believed right away because there's so much loyalty to, you know, donors in the church or elders. And so they're going to be believed on top of anybody else. Um, it, it's just the hate that kind of comes out of that. And that, this is why victims don't come forward. This is why women don't report. You know, we see worse than the silence is this shaming, the blaming, the disbelief. Mm. It confirms for all of us our decisions not to tell our story. Mm. So it keeps us in the dark. And so I think a lot of times we're seeing that with the church, um, where the church doesn't want to talk about this. And that's what I've seen for years and years. When I first started my ministry, One Voice, 15 years ago, my main focus was on Christian colleges because right. I felt like that's where we get need to get shaken up when it comes to issues of sexual assault and sexual abuse. Hmm. Um, because it, when you sweep things under the rug, it doesn't keep us safe. You know, yeah. if you keep it a secret in the church, if we don't want to talk about it, if that happened over there, but we're not going to talk about it publicly um, because we don't want to bring bad upon this person or whatever that we've loved for years or a pastor, we're not going to make it stop. We have to talk about these things in order to allow healing and also to prevent more kids and more people from being hurt. We have to get it out in the open. So that's my biggest problem when it comes to the church is that still hiding behind this pretty facade of what our church looks like. Honestly, I don't want to go to a church like that. Mm-hmm. I want to go to a church that's real. They've got real people there with real sinners. We're going to talk about real issues. And when someone hurts somebody else, I want to know about it. And yeah. I want us to talk about it because that is real life. And this is where Jesus meets us. Mm-hmm. Oh man. What do you think is true of church culture and i mean church like capital c um mm-hmm. that 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 feeds the secrecy uh-huh. i mean you'd think you'd think people who believe we're sinners wouldn't be shocked and the <laughs> people who believe in grace would um you know would mm-hmm. be would be quickly uh among the rescuers and the listeners mm-hmm. um what what do you think that what do you think has contributed to the culture that makes this so hard among people who should know better. I just think it's a lot of just protecting your own. Um, you know, where by by protecting their friends, you know, and leadership or whatever, it it's empowering those who are hurting others and it's, you know, shaming victims forever coming forward because I I just I think it's a lot of just protection of the image. So in all of my years of traveling and speaking at churches, conferences, high schools, middle schools, all these places, I've found sexual abuse to be the most common occurrence in two places, um, rich communities and church communities. And awesome. I think it's, yeah, I think it's very obvious why. And that is, those are the places you want everything to look pretty. Right. And sexual abuse is not pretty. And if it's happening in your own doors, then you feel like a failure if you are a leader and you don't want the world to see you as a failure. Right. You know, you failed to protect, you failed to see, or you hired somebody who was a pedophile and you didn't know. So you messed up. Yeah. Um, and so it's creating this picture for the rest of the community of you as a failure or um, of just being not a good place to be at. So it's not welcoming for people. You're going to lose donors. You're going to lose respects. <laughs> you're going to lose all these things. Yeah. So I think that's why. Wow. 
Yeah, I think one of the, I don't know. I I, I mean, I I think that's shocking that you say that. I mean, the the among the rich and among the church, mm-hmm. it's most yeah. hidden. Um, or, right. You're, or or are you saying most practiced? I'm saying both. I'm both. saying okay. the hiddenness, the secrecy, the hiding creates this dark place where this evil of sexual abuse is going to continue and continue. When we bring light to it, when we're able to talk about it, it stops it. Yeah. It, it's a means of prevention. And so it's both. It's both and in this okay. situation. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, and, and again, I, I hate asking this, but I know it's in the back of people's minds. And so, you know, so you like in the church, you, there, there's the verse that says, you know, do not, entertain an accusation against an elder unless there's two witnesses or whatever it is. I don't even remember if that's the exact mm-hmm. thing. So, you, you know, when that, that stuff came out on Willow Creek, let's say Bill mm-hmm. Hybels. Right. Reputation for integrity, as far as we knew, um, you know, uh, years of a track record, whatever. How do you honor uh, the people coming forward and take that very seriously and and somehow do the innocent until proven guilty thing. Like how mm-hmm. how do you reconcile both of those? Mm-hmm. I I just think you have to believe you believe a story of victim when they come forward, and you figure out the details after. For their sake, you believe them. Okay. It doesn't mean you automatically go and you say this person's guilty, but you believe that person's story for what they're telling you. Good. Okay. And then you figure out the details and we'll work on that and we'll deal with this person. You make sure they're not, you know, going to be in a place where they can hurt somebody else in the meantime. That's good. But it doesn't mean they're automatically going to prison, you know? Right. No, that's huge. I think that's, that's really, really good because I think there's, I think there's the, um, the, the fear (laughs) and, and, and our, our dear, president loves to play on this fear mm-hmm. of of being falsely accused now right yeah it, it, not that he has any experience <laughs> being accused of sexual assault or anything mm-hmm. um uh <laughs> and so so you've got this you know this thread and again i i i hate saying these words but i want to say them for the sake of of the people out there who believe them um, you know, there's just a sense of, well, you could ruin somebody's reputation. You know, if you make an accusation, it turns out to be false, right? They're toast. Right. And we're seeing this with the Kavanaugh thing, right? I mean, he's indignant right. because this comes at this 11th hour. And what's it, what's it been like um, to watch this whole thing play out? I mean, it has to be utterly tragic. It is. Um, it's completely tragic. Yeah. But, but what's it like for you to yeah. see this? Well, it's really, and that's what's so hard for me, especially right now. I mean, there's so many survivors that are contacting me constantly, mm. just in so much pain. They're so triggered by all of this because this isn't just about a Supreme Court nominee or it's not about one woman's story. I mean, this is, we're, wa- the world is watching this. Young mm-hmm. girls, women are watching. Survivors are watching to see if their pain, if their experiences, if their gender is going to be taken seriously. Mm. One in six women in America have been the victims of rape or attempted rape. One in Mm. six women. Mm. 
one in three girls have been sexually abused before they turned 18. No. There are so, yes. Dang. There are so oh. many of us out there that have these stories. The majority of them will have never told. 60% don't ever, ever, ever tell. Mm. And that's not even reporting. That's just not even telling anybody. These are people holding the secret in the secret pain. And then the, you see the stuff on national news every day and it just reopens all of that. Mm. And you want to see a woman like Dr. Ford come forward with so much courage to be able to tell her story. And you want to see her met with belief, with compassion, um, with people telling her that, you know, thank you for coming forward. Thank you for your courage. But no, we're seeing misogyny reigning. And that's what's so painful it's such a pivotal moment in our country and it's bigger than you know a nomination it's it's about society is telling victims of sexual violence that unless they reported immediately it didn't really happen or it wasn't as bad as what maybe they remembered or don't remember or why doesn't she remember everything you know it's society mm -hmm. coming up against this and telling us that these issues should be swept under the rug ignored you know, but as you know, ignoring a problem isn't going to make it go away. And sexual abuse lasts a lifetime. And that's why so many of us are raw right now. Mm. I mean, silence takes away your strength. And I think mm. that's where we're at right now is when we see, you know, people in the limelight <laughs> making fun, mocking women, mocking yeah. their stories, calling on crowds to, to come in and say the same thing. Right. Not believing them, misrepresenting their stories. I mean, it's so painful mm. and it's triggering. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, when, when that happens, what, what, what's it make you want to do? Does it make you want to disengage? Yeah. Does it make you like, what's the effect that you feel? Yeah. For me, it, it goes back and forth. I'm mostly a disengager where I, I have to ground myself. I have mm -hmm. to, um, I have to self care. I mean, honestly, and I am one of those kind of activists that I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm pretty strong when it comes to, I hear stories day mm -hmm. in and day out and they are painful. And I am a carrier of, of people's first time to ever tell. Mm. But I don't, but I think God has gifted me in a way that I can continue this ministry by not holding them in all the time. So I'm able to continue my work. I'm con I can continue to be a mom. I can do all my life things without letting it take over. But this past week was so hard. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. One of my self-care tactics is a, is a hot bubble bath. And I, I had to crawl in there Thursday after listening to those hearings. Mm. And I looked at my clock and I, and two and a half hours had gone by. My whole bath was cold. And I'm like, this is taking a harder hit on me than I ever expected. Yeah. It really was. And so for me, I do. I need to disengage. I needed to sort of, for a while I was, you know, bantering on Twitter and I'm making some posts and I'm saying my piece and I, you know, and I'm, and I'm cheering on a survivor who's coming forward with such courage and dignity and class. But then suddenly it just hit me and I had to disengage. I had to get off of social media. I had to, you know, take care of me. And so I think for the most part, most of the survivors that I'm interacting with on a friendship level where we talk about these things, mm -hmm. they are also disengaging. Mm -hmm. They want to just crawl in a hole because it's too much. It's overwhelming. 
So I think right now, self-compassion is essential for yeah. many of us. Yeah. Um, so our sweet, uh, dear president um, <laughs> last night mocked mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Ford days after calling her credible mm-hmm. witness. And you you said before we we aired you'd posted something <laughs> about that, uh, yeah. and and got lots of hate. What mm-hmm. can you give um, for the gentleman in the room? Can you give us a, a glimpse of what that hate looks like and sounds like? <laughs> and, and and what what was your original what was your original post? I mean, we watched yeah. this and just went, you know, I mean, and this was days after he told a female reporter she never thinks, um, you know, yeah. just so casually that you're. That it's stunning how casually all this happens. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, true. so what? Yeah, I, you know, last night he said it's a very scary time for young men in America and went on to talk about how he was so afraid for his sons to ever be accused of something like this. And my post simply was your daughters are far more likely to be victims of sexual assault than your sons are to be accused of it. Wow. Then yeah. that's just statistics. Right. I mean, like I said, every minute there are two people sexually assaulted in America and almost all of them will keep it a secret. And Mm. compared to the low percentage of false reports of sexual assaults, between two and 10% of sexual assaults, uh, sexual assault accusations are false. Mm. So, you know, I I just said it's time that we remove our misogynistic lenses on this issue because that's clearly what it is well the backlash has begun of just you know what's that but what's what what how do people object to that if it's true statistically oh well it's you're accusing an innocent man and what is this world coming to if one person can come forward and lie and say that an innocent great man did this to them and now his whole life is ruined. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and your response to that is what? <laughs> I just let my people come to my defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Typically. Yeah. But I said, you know, I said, I would say I understand their perspective, but we have to think about the lives of the girls who are being traumatized every 98 seconds when another sexual assault is committed. Mm. When you compare that to the extremely low percentage of false reports of sexual assaults, mm-hmm. we, you've got to change your thinking on this. We yeah. can't just continue to come to the side of the good white male Republican because they're not all perfect. What? No, they're not. How dare I, you? I know that I'm the first person to tell you this, Mike, but you needed to know, and all <laughs> your followers need to know. <laughs> oh, How dare you? Shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a 15-year-old boy, and I have a 13-year-old girl. Hmm. And and what? So so the 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 common cultural advice now is well, consent's the rule. And of course, you know, it's like, well, duh. But that seems so thin for Jesus followers, mm-hmm. right? Image bearing, you know. Um, right. Uh, you know, th- so much stronger, such a stronger concept than just, you know, consent. Um, <laughs> so how do I teach my, my boy? Mm-hmm. How do I have conversations with him from the masculine side of things that, that doesn't lead to the Billy Graham rule where he's never just alone with a woman? 
And, and so I, remind me to ask you about that because that's what I'm seeing now advocated. You know, right. I'm just not even going to forget it. I'm not even going to be around women, which which further <laughs> you know alienates the problem. So we'll get to that in a second. But how do I talk to my boy versus how do I talk to my my sweet little girl? Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of where I'm at. You know, I have three, three boys and just thinking about how do we empower them? How do we empower them to be good men? Yeah. You know? Yep. And, and also to protect themselves because men and boys are sexually assaulted at an increasingly high rate as well. Mm. And that's where I, my focus is, is protecting them from sexual abuse because of their age. You know, they're, they're nine, eight and three. And that's, that's where my focus is, and that's probably where my next book is going to be. But as they grow up, you're right. How you know? How do we um, keep them from accusations or whatever? But well, no, no. How just- do how do how do we teach them? Yes, I mean, uh, of course that. But that's mm-hmm. such a thin ethic. Hey, I just don't yeah. want to be accused of anything wrong. Right, right. So, yeah. so how do we teach them? I mean, you look at the black men. I mean, goodness gracious. Let's ask them. What? How do they do it? Right, right. <laughs> right. How do you avoid any kind of accusations? You know. But, anyways, that's rabbit trails. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, that absolutely. Um, but, but, like I said, it's like, hey, Nate, she's got to consent to anything. Is too thin. That's just that's mm. that's nothing to build a ethic on that i mean that's mm-hmm. obviously that's the bare minimum and if we just lived that our world would be a drastically different place no question about it right but, but i want him to honor the image of god in in women i want him to mm-hmm. so so i just don't know how to talk to him about mm-hmm. these things yet like we're, mm-hmm. we just talk in general about sexuality um all the time, but we don't talk about, you know, during this Kavanaugh thing, we have not talked yet about, okay, so what are you learning? What are you observing? I just didn't know if you had any thoughts that direction as opposed to my my daughter, who, you know, I, I want to equip with bear spray and bear traps and shotguns, <laughs> and not because she's weak, but because she's female. And in right. in a culture drenched with the sexualized images that that we all are familiar with, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, she she has no idea what the what, how the boys she's interacting with even in junior high have been polluted. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you how do you prepare her? You know, I I just I, I am desperate for wisdom. <laughs> Either of well, those I'll directions. Tell you. I am too. And I think that we are in a world where we don't know up from down half the time when it comes to this stuff. But if we can just follow the ways of Jesus, I think we're going to be okay. I mean, we need to love these people. We need to, we need to be understanding. But when it comes to raising our children, I mean, how did, how did Jesus treat women? Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, don't, don't get me going. Yeah. I want to he though was, because it's such a beautiful thing. Oh my goodness, he 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 broke whatever religious or cultural stereotypes existed about the role of women in his day. Mm-hmm. He was he was well, you know, I'm preaching in the choir. I mean, he was Yeah, but I he, love talking about it. He was <laughs> ridiculously my next book is going to be a defense of of women in vocational leadership uh for mm-hmm. for ministry. And it's not it's it's going to be more like a term paper, but it's like the the arguments against it, I think, are so weak. Um, mm. And and you know, part of what I've learned and what I've reflected on in the whole Me Too Church Two movement has been if we had more women in leadership, mm. we would not be where we are. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, the fact that it's almost been exclusively male and, you know, and white male um, has, has certainly not yeah. led us to green pastures in, in, no. in, in these ways. So, so part of what I see. Well, is, and that's what's increased the problem in the church is it's, it's almost a men against women kind of thing. Absolutely. When all the men are the leaders, they're like this little gang and the woman has, they don't even want to come forward, but if they have the balls enough to do it. Right. Metaphorically. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, then they're usually met with all that we're seeing from our, like you said, beautiful, lovely president right now, the laughing at women's pain, mocking it, parody, you know, misrepresentation. Right. Jesus would have never done that. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, you, the closest you get to Jesus on this is the, the woman caught in adultery. Right. <laughs> in the sense of they don't bring the guy. So it takes two. Last time I checked, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but it takes two. It seems like, and um, the guy isn't brought forward. It's just the woman, and she's barely dressed, so they're shaming her publicly. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, you know, recognizes her part, which this was not an abuse situation, as far as we know. Um, but the way he stands up and addresses the men was would have just been unbelievably staggering. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right to to be somebody who's a bearer of those secrets. Um, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty yeah. big deal. Yeah. And I, I think back to even when I was in college, you know, I told at that camp when I was 15 and I saw how God was calling me to be this voice, to have the courage to stand up so others could see me too. I had that planted in my heart at that time at 15, but I sat quiet for the ne- next few years. I went off to college and, you know, I was a college athlete. So I hung out with like a lot of the other athletes. Of course you did. Of course you did. Male and female. And so I remember watching the, the men's basketball team a lot. This was a time when I was really struggling with, I will never be able to trust a man again. Mm. Oh. And, you know, because my stepfather was someone everyone trusted and loved. And so mm. if that's the case and he was supposed to take care of me and he did this, how could I ever trust any man, right? Yeah, of course. And so I'm struggling with this. And I knew, like, if it was true for all men, a whole gender, then it would be true for me. But if one man said it wasn't true, then I could not make that sweeping statement anymore. And mm. I could not believe that lie. Mm. And so I began to just watch and I would watch these guys and I would watch them like when a cute girl would walk by in the cafeteria, what are they saying? What are they looking at? What are they doing? And, you know, I thought all men are addicted to pornography and they all, you know, can't be trusted with women. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a ton of them proved me right. <laughs> yeah. But there was a couple that I watched then they would they wouldn't. They wouldn't give in. They were respectful. They were kind. They were compassionate. They showed all of these characteristics that I believe Jesus would have shown mm. in that moment. And that broke me down. And I thought, you know what? It's not true for all of them. And that really set me up, I think, to eventually be able to be in a relationship, a healthy, loving relationship, one built on trust um, at and I needed examples in real life. And so for me, raising my boys, that's what it's about. It's instilling that kind of thing into them, 
How mm-hmm. do you love women? How do you look at them? Are you equals? How and and how can you compliment them also? So it's a both and thing there. Um, and I hope that by by showing them that and, and creating this honor for an entire gender, it will make a difference. It'll make a difference for the people that they interact with at school. You know, I've already seen it, especially in my nine-year-old. I mean, mm. he has such a, an eye for equality and for love of women and for holding them up and in a way that I, I wish I had seen you know, when yeah. I was a little girl with other kids at school or even in our White House. <laughs> How do you keep this from turning into just the Mike Pence, Billy Graham rule, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so so if I'm a guy, I just never, I'm never alone with a woman. Why would I open myself up to an accusation? You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, what wh- What's health look like if it's not that? I think it's about accountability. (laughs) You have to have someone in your life that you regularly check in with, that they know all your secrets, you know, and they're checking in with you. Right. You're never out there on an island doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. And you don't have your all your posse keeping your secrets. You I think it's just about having that person that will ask you the hard questions. You're meeting with them on a regular basis. My pastor does that and I think it I really trust him. Mm-hmm. I believe I believe it works for him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's silly to have to say I can't meet with you because you're a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I fear that the over overreaction or overcorrection um will look something like that. Yeah. Where Women are now shut out from leadership, you know, for this yeah, reason. So like, this is afraid. the justification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I we mean? We can be in the same room, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just nonsense. We have to understand how we're meant to be working together. And we don't have to be living in this fear. We just have to be smart and and living like Jesus. What's your heart look like? Where are you at? If you're vulnerable, take care of that. Or have the person that can notice that in you, call that out in you. Mm-hmm. And you'd be willing to be humble enough to submit to their <coughs> you know, leadership. Right. Boy, that's a whole different issue. Um, mm-hmm. tell, me, tell me, if you would, just what's one voice? Uh, what, what's that? Because um, you founded that, of course. And then mm-hmm. one voice for, what is it, freedom? One voice yeah. for freedom? Tell me about those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So one voice um, is kind of what came out of just my calling and believing that I was supposed to use my voice to gather other voices on this issue of sexual violence to um, just break the silence, to bring it out into the light and help survivors be able to find their voice and begin their healing journey. I think once you're able to tell your secret, your story, that's your first step of healing. And that was what my mantra was. And so just began speaking at colleges and and places and churches like that, um, just to be a voice on this issue. It's really hard to have a guest speaker talk about these things. And so I feel like God's gifted me in a way that I can do it with humor and grace and compassion in a way that isn't too much for an audience. Hmm. And so that's sort of what I've been doing the last 15 years. Um, But then um, a few years ago, after I wrote my first book, Hush, I started 
getting lots of emails from survivors who were relating to my story. Nicole, I was also abused in my home. Like you, you always said you wanted to run away, but you didn't. And then they would say, but I did. I ran away to get away from my abuse. And that is what led me right into the arms of a human trafficker. And Mm. so I was getting all of these emails and stories when I was speaking from trafficking victims. And so I was like, my eyes were so open to this issue. And um, so I just started to pray. And this is how One Voice for Freedom came about was I, I just started to pray what I call dangerous prayers. I started praying that God would use me as a voice for them too, for the enslaved. And I prayed that for about nine months. And I got a phone call from my friends at Life Outreach in Dallas, Texas, asking me to go with their film crew uh, into the brothels of Cambodia and mm. meet with girls who were being trafficked. They were locked up in rooms with just nothing in there but a, a blanket on the floor and a bowl in the corner. They got fed once a day like a dog, and they were just tortured and having to service eight to ten men a night. And oh. it just broke me down more than even my own story had. And I felt like uh, now that I knew, now that I really knew, I had to be a part of the solution because if not, I was just a part of the problem. And so mm-hmm. I started then the nonprofit One Voice for Freedom, which is focused solely on ch- stopping child sex trafficking before it starts. And so I, I would go back to Cambodia and go where traffickers target families and children out in the bush and and educate them on human trafficking and teach them the tricks that these traffickers try to pull um, to get them to sell sell their girls, basically. Mm. And um, it's been really successful over there. I just, I've raised money for $2. You can buy a pair of shoes for a child in Cambodia. And that's what gets their whole family to come to get a free pair of shoes, they'll listen to my whole presentation Hmm. and learning the tricks of these traffickers. And, you know, if this guy comes to your village and tells you all these things, he is a liar. Don't put your girls on the bus (laughs) because to them, this is like an answer. So that that's a long story, but that, that is where it started. And then I brought that back home here to Columbus, Ohio, where I realized there's a thousand girls trafficked every night in my own city. Hmm. So wow. now we're doing a lot here locally as far as reaching um, homeless and runaway youth because they're at highest risk of becoming trafficked here because mm. those are the girls who were emailing me, mm. you know, the runaways. And so we, we, we provide warm meals and we give them backpacks full of hygiene items with resource cards and we just love on them, create relationships so that they can now recognize and we can recognize when relationships are showing red flags of someone who may be wanting to traffic them Mm. and trying to get them out of that. And then um, we also just love on women who are working on the streets or who have just come off the streets and are beginning their recovery in safe houses. We put on what we call pamper parties. So they're one voice for freedom pamper parties. So we just come and we just like dote on these women we have a nail tech come they get their hair done they get their nails done they get all dolled up i share my story i sign my books we have a meal with them we give them tons of gifts and just kind of encourage them to keep going because the healing road's hard if you've been abused but if you've been trafficked like the trauma is so deep and it's so easy for them to go back to that life so we just try to keep them encouraged and, and keep walking that healing out. So that's a lot of what we're doing now. Oh my goodness. Where uh, where can people find you online? 
Um, What's your just go to, Yeah, but my website would be IamOneVoice.org. And you can get all the everything there. Boom. Yep. Oh, Nicole. All right. Um, I need just, and, and really, this is one of the more important questions. Um, what was your take on the Buckeye Penn State game? <laughs> were you, were you, were you watching it live? I was watching it live in my basement with my three boys. My husband was at work and he's like, you still have those boys awake yep. right now. I was like, we can't go to bed. It's yep. crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> it was hype. We were, oh, I mean the ending. I really did believe in them. I'm going to tell you, I tell felt me. like they were going to do it. I, I really did. And that's why I didn't go to bed. I believe you. And they did. And they did. Can I, yep. can I share just by way of uh, empathizing? that Nate and I went to last year's Penn State game in Columbus where we were down, same thing, in the fourth quarter. We looked horrible and pulled out a one-point win and stormed the field. You stormed it? Well, we (laughs) – Nate Nate has a flip phone. So (laughs) we don't trust our ability to connect well in those sorts of environments. So he was like, (laughs) ah, we'll go go act like we're storming it and take some pictures and then we'll (laughs) – And then we'll go. So um, well, he wanted you to take pictures because you know his phone's not taking any. Exactly, pictures. <laughs> exactly right. Oh yes, he he he. Yeah, our kids are hilarious. They, yeah, they have flip phones and they are That's unhappy. Great. They are unhappy. But all that is to say, <laughs> to hear and then watch the Penn State game um, was a. Again, we mm-hmm. embraced. We stormed our own field in our basement, and. <laughs> awesome. uh, it was amazing. So, yeah. so it's it's nice, Nicole, to uh, be in your city cheering for our Buckeyes because mm-hmm. it's been you know it's it was tough in California just because they're not a not a lot of glorious people there. Yeah. Um. So it, so it's great. I I need a prediction from you though. Will will they make the college football playoff? Oh, yeah. Okay. See that. I didn't even need to ask, but I knew. I just knew. That's that's the kind of faith we're talking about. Trust me. My March Madness bracket, Ohio State's in the final four every year. I every don't care year. how bad they are. Even if they're not even in the tournament. <laughs> I'm saying I will always cheer for them, and I believe in them to get all the way to the end. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. All right, Nicole, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are awesome, and I'm so grateful. Um, like I said, I, when I when I first heard uh, a bit of this years ago, and was so encouraged, uh, and have been so encouraged to see, you know, that your voice get amplified through through different mm-hmm. things, and and mm-hmm. you know, I, I I've thought of you every now and again as as this whole cultural thing has unfolded. But it was the Kavanaugh thing, watching the testimony and wondering, yeah. what's it like to have gone through this? Yeah. And then seeing this play out nationally, I just had to be had to be crazy. So thank you yeah. for just sharing your story and thank you yeah. for what you do. And um, I'm so, so very grateful for um for what you're up to. And I just think it's like one of the cooler things ever. So <laughs> thanks for taking thank time uh, yes. after your spin class, which is awesome. Oh my goodness. Can I say that? Can I say that? You can. Okay. You can. It's hard for me. The lady's really mean to me. Like 
she'll say my name. I want to be hidden. I mean, that's not really being mean, but to me it is because I like want to be anonymous. And how background. does she know your? How does she know your name? I mean, how? you have to check in. You have oh. to register. Oh, I, my I can't goodness. tell you. Okay, that would rule me out right away. It's a lot. It's a lot. So she calls you by name. Yeah, she'd be like, Nicole, <laughs> you ready for this hill? And no. I'm like, there's no hill. We're just. We're just spinning our legs, but yeah, <laughs> I'm like yeah, ready. So, oh, so. it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, so having survived that, and then yeah. marching right into the Vox podcast, I am grateful. It's a lot of survival. Um, a lot of survival absolutely. These days. <laughs> so, so to uh, to our Voxers, check out. Uh, Nicole online and uh, thanks for listening to us. We are so very grateful for the opportunity to play a small part in your journey. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace in these days. Until next time, my friends, thank you so very much. 